Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3 cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince. We are going to be talking about the DC Comics released on November 20th, 2019. But first, we are going to be talking about the most recent batch of solicits that came out from DC for February of 2020. There are a couple of small things I want us to talk about, but I guess the the big news here is that uh, we have found out that at least for the time being, we have a new writer for Justice League. And uh, Zach, who was that new writer? It is DC writer extraordinaire Robert Venditti. I said this before we started recording, but this screams there's a relaunch coming. Yeah. They don't yeah, want to I, not I, have I a like Justice Venditti, League title. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Venditti's fine. I mean... He, he's done some, some good stuff. He's done some not-so-good stuff. But he's an inoffensive writer at worst. Yeah. His Hawkman has been very good. It has been, yes. Um, but I can't imagine anything happening in his run that will be notable a year from now. Yeah, no. And I wonder if it's going to be more than just like an arc or something. Um, kind of like Priest how his thing went after Hitch left. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's similar to that. Um, but this is a surprisingly interesting month of solicits. Uh, first of all, we get uh, something that we had talked about thinking, oh, there's definitely going to be a follow-up to Deceased. And, and we're getting one, but it's not a sequel. It's, it's more of a... Uh, I'm, I'm going to use a reference that only Zach's going to get. It's an other 48 days of uh, of the deceased world. Mm-hmm. Do, do you get that reference, Zach? Mm-hmm. All right, good. It's a lost reference, Vince. Yeah, I, yes, I know. Good God. <laughs> I don't have to have seen the thing to know what you assholes are talking about. Are you sure about that? It seems to be uh, doesn't seem to be working pretty very well for you with Watchmen. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't even know. It means you're missing out, brother. Nah, I'm not. You would certainly are. Anyway, um, so we're getting a deceased book. But TV sucks. <laughs> uh, but it's from the uh, the perspective of sort of the villains of the of the world, uh, which could be interesting, I guess. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of, um, I think they did something similar with uh, Injustice, where they, like, retold the events of Injustice, like, solely from Harley Quinn's point of view or something like that. I don't know. Um, It's only three issues, I think. Yeah. But hopefully it is indicative that other things are coming. Yeah, Uh, I'm really interested in, in what's potentially next. On, on Earth 2 or whatever. Yeah. I concur. Um, so some other stuff. Uh, we knew this was coming, but we didn't know when. Uh, Amethyst by Amy Reader debuts in February, which is great. Uh, we should all be very happy about that. Um, here's something I really wanted to talk about. So remember back... Gosh, was it six months? Was it a year? Who knows? When Tom King said that he was going to be doing something in Batman that would stick around for a generation. Yeah. Is that what he said? Yeah. Or, or something like that. 
and we, we we were all kind of wondering what he meant by that and and now i think people have presumed that it's alfred dying that that's going to be the, his big contribution to the bat mythos um so there's a batman pennyworth rip number one coming out in february but tom king is not involved with it <laughs> and it's written by james tynion and peter tomasi who are the current Batman and detective writers? So I understand why they're part of it. It's just very funny to me that that's the uh, that they couldn't even let him write that or co-write that book. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, TK. TKO. <laughs> um, um. Go ahead. Well, I was gonna say there. There's a few other things. So you mentioned you mentioned Amethyst. Um, Green Lantern season two starts that month. Um, there, what was the other big thing? Um, oh, the Leviathan Dawn number one. Yes, mm. the the quasi sequel to uh, to Event Leviathan, which was the quasi right. sequel to Leviathan Rising. <laughs> Which is the uh, yes, you you understand what I'm what I'm saying here? Um, yeah, but but it's just a one shot. It's not a series, right? Uh, I wanted to bring up a DC Crimes of Passion number one, which mm-hmm. looks like it's essentially a uh, a romance comic, like a Valentine's Day romance comic, but it's written by James Tynion, Steve Orlando, Cena Grace, uh, Stephanie Phillips, and Jay Baruchel, guys. Yeah. <laughs> star of stage and screen from undeclared to crimes of passion <laughs> we got we got jay barrichell guys what what character do we think he's gonna write um something involving pubes <laughs> who he, he he's a super canadian who's who's a canadian dc character he can write um uh that one character that Jeff Lemire created for his Justice League run. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that Vince, is a deep I will cut. give you a dollar if you can name that character without looking it up. I you know I can't. No one can. I don't think I can either, that's, honestly. That's uh, Lemire's oh, trick. Oh, oh, her. her, her <laughs> Maple Leaf. Is that her name? Nope. nope. Is, no. it, is it Solstice? No. no. Solstice was, thought, a, was a... Uh, a Teen Titans uh, character. Teen Titans, yeah. yeah. It was... Uh, Crap, what was it? Um, um, maple syrup. Yeah. Uh, hang on. That has to be offensive to someone. I don't know. <laughs> so this is Lemire's Poutine. trick. <laughs> yeah, Poutine. <exactly>. Poutine lass. <laughs> uh, oh. Hang on. Uh, now strange, it's whoever... strange brew. Now it's just whoever can find it first. I'm, not uh, looking, I, I'm waiting for you guys to... to uh... I'm looking it up because I I don't know. Equinox. Oh, I was so close with Solstice. I know. I know you were. Oh, poor Equinox. The only member of the Justice League United who doesn't have a Wikipedia page. (laughs) Pour one out. Uh, (laughs) Anyway. Um, Anyway. Yeah, Crimes of Passion. It's interesting. Uh, we also get a, a book called Superman Villains Number One, which is another one of these Superman gang books, uh, written by Bendis, Fraction, Greg Rucka, and Jody Hauser. Mm-hmm. 
I, I really enjoy the fact that they're doing more of these, but this happens one month after another one, another book that's just like this. Yeah. And maybe they should have waited a little bit longer. Yeah. But, but you know what, guys? That's kind of – it's like halfway to the idea that we've had on this show about um, – you know, maybe releasing less, uh, you know, monthly Batman comics or monthly Superman comics and doing these sort of mini anthologies. Yeah. It, it would be, it would be nice. I, I'm, this is just my preference, but if they did a lot more of these with all the different characters and maybe cut back on how many regular monthly books there are and did one of these anthologies every once in a while. Maybe focus on a different character every month. You know, I almost kind of think that the Lois Lane and Jimmy Olsen concepts might have benefited more from like being anthology stories in, a, in an ongoing like Superman. Like if we mm, had had like the Wednesday comics thing. Well, or like even like Leviathan Rising and then like into the, the you know, whatever. Is it like Superman Heroes? Is that the other one that's going to come before this? I think possibly, yeah. Uh, um, like having those running through that maybe would have been cool. Not that, you know, I, I think like Jimmy Olsen has been pretty good. I haven't been keeping up with Lois Lane. I, it kind of lost me, but yeah, the last issue uh, was good again, I think, but okay. Uh, but I now. just, you know, I just really loved both of those sections in the Leviathan rising book. And yeah, I think your idea about, an anthology type thing would have really benefited both of those concepts. Yeah. This is just, you know, uh, Salvatorian nitpicking here, but I think it's interesting that the four villains that they picked for the Superman villains issue are Lex Luthor, Mongol, Toy Man, and the Joker. <laughs> That's very telling, isn't it? It is. And it's also, it's one of those, it's it's a situation of, well, this also means that literally everything in Justice League is going to be wrapped up in some sort of nice package, and Lex Luthor is back to normal come February. Yeah. Which is fine, I guess. Whatever. Life is meaningless. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just weird. Anyway. Um, anyway. Let's see what else from the solicits was worth talking about. Uh, you you told us about a co-writing situation there, Zach. Oh yeah, actually a couple. Um, Ram B is co-writing Justice League Dark with Tanyan, um, and uh, David Walker is co-writing Young Justice with Bendis. I haven't read much of Ram V's stuff outside of the odd fill-in here and there, so I, I don't have a, a huge opinion on Ram V, but I will say that I like that DC is using co-writing as a way to break in young writers again, or at least new writers. I, I think it's a good move for them to, to, be, to use that as a technique for bringing some new talent into their books. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and also maybe, a, you know, a good way to keep these books going a little bit um you know i think tanyan is probably going to transition off of justice league dark eventually 
since I think he, him and Snyder are moving away from the Justice League books. Um, but, you know, there's no reason Ram V can't keep it up. Sure. Sure. Um, other than that, you know, this is when a couple of miniseries end. I believe Flash Forward ends this month. I believe Gotham City Monsters ends this month. Um, and while DC doesn't have as strict of a number that they're hitting like they did with the New 52, I think when you start to see these miniseries wrap up, uh, Inferior 5 wraps up as well, uh, half its, its, its uh, solicited length, I think when you see those type of things happening, you know that there's a batch of new things coming on the horizon. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether that's new ongoings, new miniseries, whatever. But I'm always excited when those new things happen. So now, we we ask this question a lot on this show. Uh, but I want to I want to hear it again. I want to hear your answer again. Uh, when do you think they're going to announce whatever sort of relaunch we're going to be seeing? When is this going to happen? Zach, do you have a, a answer in mind for this? Is there a big spring con other than is like Emerald City in the spring? It is, but they use WonderCon. Ah, oh, WonderCon, that's right. I couldn't remember what the what the big spring con was that they typically like, used. Like they did the entire rebirth. They announced every rebirth title at WonderCon. That's right. When when is WonderCon? In March. I I could see it happening then. Them. They also they also use that to do the Justice League the the new Justice stuff mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. a year or two later. So I, I think that's definitely potentially where we'll see stuff. Uh, um, I think more likely though that's where well see like we still don't really know what the next thing is if it's gonna if they're gonna like go straight into this crisis thing. I feel like that's the most likely thing. Maybe they'll use WonderCon to announce this next crisis. I don't. I don't feel like we'll get news about a relaunch until after that happens. I also don't know if we're ever going to get them using the word relaunch. I. I mean, I use relaunch purely in terms of like you know a new publishing initiative. You know, DC now or right that Marvel sort of you. thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. 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 Um, cause I, we will get that because, you know, we had rebirth for what, like two, two and a half years. And then we've been in this, no, this new, new justice era for a little over a year, right? More than that. I mean, you, you surely f- it has to be, you figure justice league comes out twice yeah. a month. Yeah. And we're in the thirties of justice league. So that's it more than a year. It just doesn't feel like it's been that long. Yeah. Uh, guys, we have uh, we have some breaking news here. Uh oh. Uh oh. Guess who has expressed their interest in releasing the Snyder Cut? Uh, Henry Cavill. Diane Nelson, former DC president. Oh. Okay. But she says it's unfinished. Well, yeah, no shit. Otherwise, we'd have seen it already. That's probably true. I truly believe that. Yeah. All right. Any other solicit stuff you guys want to talk about? 
No, I think that covers it all. Okay, so we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. We're going to talk about, I think it's uh, three books individually, and then we're going to uh, take a sort of look at one corner of the DC Universe. I'm actually very excited about us doing this. So, But let's start with uh, the three books that we're going to be doing sort of individually. And the first one of those is He-Man and the Masters of the Multiverse, number one. This is written by Tim Seeley, illustrated by Dan Fraga, who was the first comics professional I ever met. He did a signing at MDM Comics in Bergenfield, New Jersey, in, let's call it, 1993, for the first issue of Bloodstrike for Image Comics. And I had a Bloodstrike number one and a Bloodstrike poster signed by Dan Fraga for a while. I couldn't nice. find other either when my mom was selling her house, but I did find the certificate of authenticity that went along with it. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, anyway, let's just quickly recap. When was uh, the last time you guys gave a shit about He-Man? <laughs> Literally never in my life have I ever cared about He-Man. Oh! I've just, um... like, it's never been on my radar. So you never like watched reruns of the old cartoon? No, I didn't. Oh man. Okay. All right. Uh well for me it was probably when I was like oh, I don't know, ten <clears throat> ten or something. Like I would watch the um reruns on Cartoon Network. Uh-huh. And Unless you count like me owning a He-Man T-shirt as a, an adult, <laughs> that is that is the last time I cared about him. I think the last time I cared about him was, let's call it 1988 or 89. <laughs> wow. Uh, wow! When I was like six or seven years old, uh, it's probably the last time I ever um, cared about him. So, and, and that's not okay. really a a bad a bad thing. It's like it was a character that. I was introduced to via cartoons and action figures. I saw the film when it came out. Well, not when it came out. Years later on VHS or whatever. Um, but just, just not my particular cup of tea. But I have to say, I kind of really like this comic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. Uh, Zach, you go. It's a... Uh, it... It's um yeah I mean it's fine it's it's very in line with the kind of comics that DC is doing right now. Yes. Yes. One, one of <laughs> my notes was that this feels in continuity, even though it can't be. You know. <laughs> could it be though? It could be. It's one of the infinite universes. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. I. So it sounds like I'm probably the biggest E-Man fan. Out of all of us. <laughs> in the um, world. Yeah, in the world, yep. I, part of what fascinates me about He-Man has nothing to do with the story itself, but how many different iterations and 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 how much lore there is, despite... Like, everybody kind of knows who He-Man is, whether it's through, like, re like, references or jokes or memes or whatever, but... There is so much more to him. Like that is the tip of a gigantic iceberg when it comes to the lore behind He-Man. Uh -huh. <laughs> like, oh, please tell me about He-Man lore. Well, I will a little bit, 
just by virtue of us talking about this comic because this comic itself goes fairly deep um so the the premise of the the he-man and the masters of the multiverse is that there's <laughs> there's a dark he-man which the phrase dark he-man i i feel like i spent the week just saying dark he-man over to my <laughs> over and over to myself like david know? letterman <laughs> yeah yes absolutely paul paul you hear about that dark he-man you see this paul man now, now i'm now now i'm yeah there you go <laughs> Now I'm blending my my Jay Leno, where he's like, "You see this? You, you, you see this dark? You see this dark he man? Joey Butterfuco. Ego. But anyway, uh, so this dark he man's going around like destroying these different he man universes and absorbing them into his dark power sword or whatever right it's very that is very he-man but specifically the the idea of the anti-he-man or the anti-eternia world comes from an old german like radio show from the 80s das he-man yes so they're 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 literally pulling the central plot conceit of this miniseries from a German audio program that probably nobody we know has ever known about or experienced, you know, except maybe Tim Seeley, maybe except maybe Tim Seeley. And apparently Vince. Well, the only reason I know about it was, is doing in doing research to talk about this. Okay. Um, now there were other aspects that I picked up myself without having to do any research, which is like the little cartoon he man that, uh-huh. The version of He-Man, do you know what that's from? From Paper He-Man? <laughs> Is that like an action figure or something? Like a toy look, line? It does look like Paper Mario, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. No. Um, so, Zach, this is all from an action figure toy line. So, like, He-Man started as toys, just like, like Transformers or anything else. Um, and... Uh, to get into the number of iterations of He-Man toys we've had uh, would take an entire episode, but that particular cartoonish He-Man and what gave it away was the Easter bunny reference, like the, the like uh, image of him jumping in the Easter bunny costume. Uh-huh. That is from the He-Man tappers of gray skull uh, mobile app. Wow. It's like a tap. It's like a tapping game. Like one of those like time wasters. Then, of course, the other He-Man that joins the cartoonish He-Man is the Dolph Lundgren right. movie He-Man. Um, and at the very end, just to round off the like set of references that we get here, the Starship Eternia is from the New Adventures of He-Man when, in the late 80s, I think, or maybe it was even early 90s, um, the, the creators of He-Man decided that, you know, like, fantasy sword and swords sword and sorcery stuff is out it's all about sci-fi now we have to make he-man except sci-fi so it was like he it was like he-man in space that, that's pretty cool i actually just assumed that so i kind of figured that 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 um like weird animated uh he-man was from something i didn't realize that the other he-man was from the movie or from a movie uh but i kind of just assumed that the um 
the spaceship He-Man thing was made for the comic. So that that's a nice little bit of trivia. Yeah. Yeah, so it's really fun the way that, like, Seeley weaves all those ideas together um, and doesn't take himself too seriously. Like, it's a very joke. I mean, how could you if you include, like, the mobile game version of He-Man? Yeah. But, like, you, you hate to read uh, irreverent books like this that end up taking themselves way too seriously. Yeah. So reading a book like this that was just like pure fun and Dan the Dan Fraga art's very good, I think. Um, again, for this sort of book, he kind of nails all the different looks that he needs to. Um, he was also an animator on, or director possibly, on the HBO adaptation, the HBO version of the Ricky Gervais podcast. Oh, okay. So you sort of see that in some of the cartoonier stuff in this. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, I mean, I mean, seeing them, uh, seeing Dark He Man yell "By the power of Hell Skull" was enough for me. <laughs> that was that was worth the price of admission. I have two very specific He Man toy memories. The first is there was a He Man toy where you would put your He Man on like a carousel type thing. And then you would pour slime onto him, and you would spin the carousel, and there'd be a tiny He-Man there. It was like, it, it was like a, uh, you know, you're shrinking him with slime. And so I, I had this as a kid, and I thought it was the coolest thing, but the first time I used it, I cried. Because uh, it scared me that I really shrunk my He-Man. Because um, I was like three or four, whatever. Um, so... <laughs> That's number one. <laughs> That's not even Yo, the good you, story. You, you hate to shrink your He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the pool. <laughs> Shrinkage. <laughs> uh, but the other one, which is uh, a story, I don't remember when it happened, but I heard about it for years afterwards, was that there was a He-Man create your own character contest. Where you would have to like you could send in a a name and a design of your He-Man character, and my dad did it because he thought it'd be funny, and so his was Flatos. It was a flatulence-based uh, He-Man character, and uh, he never heard back from them, obviously. But he actually oh. did send it in. That's well, hilarious. Yeah. Well, watch Tim Seeley's going to use that. Use Flatos, Tim. Go ahead. I'll give you the rights to it. Um. <laughs> But what I found so charming about this was actually like a lot of what I love about the He-Man toys was that I think the He-Man toys were some of the earliest toys that I can recall where there were there was already alternate versions of things. Mm-hmm. Like just the fact that there was a He-Man toy that would and when I say shrink my He-Man, I don't mean like it wasn't supposed to be. He doesn't the, mean his actual penis. No, I, <laughs> maybe I did. No, uh, what I mean is like. It was supposed to imply that like there was an evil spell put on. Basically, the He Man could lose. It was a toy predicated on the idea that a bad guy could capture He Man and like fuck him up. And I feel like for '80s kids' toys, that was extremely rare. You didn't have sure. anything that could suggest any sort of ambiguity or um, or like different versions of something happening. And so, to me, He Man has always been a a character that that is a little bit more flexible and malleable because of those alternate toys that we got. 
And so something like this, where we get lots of versions of He-Man, just felt very natural. This didn't feel forced at all, which is which for a multiverse story, and I, I love a good multiverse story, but a lot of them do feel forced and do feel like it's a stretch to sort of figure out what the story is and how these characters come together. That didn't feel, this didn't feel that way to me at all. Yeah. Yeah, no, this was, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it a lot more than I expected to. So, uh, I think it sounds like we all did. And that includes me. Who's like something of a He-Man nerd in some ways. So I, I think that speaks to Seely's spiritual approach to this, you know, like he clearly knows what kind of book he's writing, right? Yes. Yeah, and and I think that Seely is exactly the guy to do this. Um Yeah, it's great. It's super fun. I uh I wish that more licensed properties took chances like this. Um, Vince, what did you just send us in our group chat? No, nothing, nothing. <laughs> okay. Talk about it later. <laughs> okay, sounds good. I'm just I'm putting a pin here okay. to remind us. Okay, sounds good to me. Um, well, let's talk about our next title then, which is uh, Justice League. What number is this? Is this thirty thirty six? Okay. Um, this one is, of course. Written by Scott Snyder and James Tynion IV. This is the. Uh, is there three more issues of the series? Before Snyder yeah, off but of I, it? yeah, I think the last issue is going to be more kind of like an epilogue. So like two more issues of Justice Doom War. Yeah, uh, this one is illustrated mainly by Francis Manipal. But we get somebody else. Who else illustrated this? I'm. I forgot to write that down in my notes. Uh, Howard Porter. Howard Porter, did yes. The, the, kind of the last 10 pages, I think. Yeah. Eight, eight or 10. Yeah. Um, so, I we're going to talk about the infected books a little later on, but this year of the villain storyline is starting to get to a place where it feels like, how can I say this? I am really worried that Snyder and Tynion have painted themselves into a corner here. <laughs> what makes you say that? I just feel like the story is becoming so bleak and so... Um... It, it, it feels not quite unlike our current political climate, you know, <laughs> there, there Wait was some minute. dialogue and there was some dialogue. Are you saying that here. Lex Luthor is freaking Donald Trump? <laughs> well, there's some dialogue in here. Let me see if I can find it. Yeah. There's a whole page that's basically like, uh, talking about believing in the evil in people and, and, and trying to fix things for them rather than believing in them. Yeah. Uh, oh, where that, <laughs> oh, I wish I could find it because it's just like straight up. Basically, if you didn't this know what the this Democratic was all... Party, <laughs> yeah. if, if you didn't know oh. what this was all about before, uh, 
you know now, you know? Yeah. Like, it's but, been pretty clear all along that this is like a big uh, allegory yeah. for yes. post But now he's he's something else. Now he fights with something far more dangerous than any weapon or dark force. He fights with faith. Uh, faith in the evil in people. Oh, oh who's wait, that? it's Kanye. That's who uh, it is. It is. It's Kanye. Yeah, it's Kanye. Likes his Kanye. And uh, let's see. Um, anyway, if Lex Luthor is Kanye... They're trying then... to give back our 40 cakes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no! That's too good! Wow, that's really good. I, I kind of gave... I, I was going to make Perpetua Jay-Z, and I was going to do a bunch of things, but now... <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just gonna let that sink in for a second. That's, that's yeah. really good. We didn't fight him by enlisting everyone by believing in them. We hid the truth from them. Yeah. We tried to win for them, not win. Well, yeah, not win with them, uh, or We're not talking, win them over. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yep. Uh, yep. That's the exact part I was talking. I was thinking of. Yeah. But anyway, what I was saying, what I was gonna say though, is like. I know that comic stories have to ramp up the intensity all the time in order to keep to keep us reading these stories, right? But my fear with this particular story right now is that I can't imagine there being a satisfactory ending that doesn't either fuck up DC's line for the next couple of years or just retcon everything away at the end of this arc. What I mean by painting itself as a corner is I feel like there's just not enough time to do the work that's going to be needed to get out of this situation in a satisfying storytelling sense. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I kind of thought that this issue was going to go. You know, you you have the twist where Perpetua turns on everyone, on all the villains. Except for Lex. And and I almost kind of thought she was going to turn on Lex, too. And then Lex was going to kind of become this, uh, you know, he he would turn and be the, you know, end up saving everyone or something. He would be like Lex that. Luthor from Superman, too. Yeah. Um, but that it doesn't seem like that's what's going to happen. So, um, so I really, I don't know what to think about this. Really? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I kind of felt like this, this issue and last issue have this story kind of in a in a holding pattern. You know, we had kind of the big everything falls apart moment, I guess, in 34. Um, yeah. And that's and, kind of my point here is that I feel yeah. like if they didn't waste two issues, maybe you could have gotten someplace. But I just feel like you're at this point, you have 40 pages to resolve essentially the end of the universe. Yeah. Yeah. Vince, what do you think about this issue? Well, yeah, I feel very much the same as you guys. And I, and I thought it was kind of, um, filler is maybe not the right word, but now this arc is feeling stretched out in a way that it wasn't prior to this. Um, hang on. Yeah. Thought I had a sneeze there. Uh, you can you can edit that out, Brian. Nope. Uh, I know. <laughs> I know you won't. Um, you know what I mean, though. Like up to this point, every issue gave us either some new bit of information or some additional 
team that was showing up to help or, or some challenge that they had to face. This one kind of just felt like it was stretching out the same sort of um, conflict that existed between Perpetua and everybody else and Luthor and the Legion of Doom kind of the mini conflict where like, are they going to be able to get around, get along and, and pull this all off in the end, you know, in the way that they've envisioned it. And it didn't really, this issue itself didn't really add anything. I don't think to the overall narrative. Um, other than like you said, the betrayal at the end, but even that is like, that feels like it's just a placeholder for the next, like, <sighs> Like that that's just that's just uh, uh, a little twist in the overall plan that hasn't really changed for Perpetua. I don't I don't think, you know, mm-hmm. I think yeah. we kind of ex- have expected that from her all along. Um, so so, yeah, this issue didn't like excite or thrill me all that much. I think it looked great. The art was great. Um, Manipul's always good on this book. Uh, Porter's always a welcome sort of like spot fill in. Um, I think it raises more questions kind of Brian, you kind of hinted at this. I think it raises more questions about where this is all going after it's done. Because when we talked about the solicits, uh, earlier in the show, you mentioned that, oh, uh, Lex is seemingly back to normal, et cetera, et cetera. But we know that there's something that's coming after this. We assume it's a crisis. We assume it's the thing that Snyder's talking about working on with Capullo. We assume that it in some way still involves like the dark multiverse, if not Perpetua herself. And so I'm wondering if this is really, if this overall narrative is really even going to come to a conclusion in this book, you know? Yeah, I almost kind of think it's not just because because that's what DC just did with Event Leviathan. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'll, I'll furthermore, furthermore, I'll say, do you guys think that if they're doing a what would it be thirtieth anniversary of Crisis? No, thirty fifth. Thirty fifth. Um, if they're doing like a thirty fifth anniversary of Crisis, uh, you know, Scott Snyder Crisis. Do you think they leave Bendis out of that and they give Bendis his own thing later? Or do you think they figured out some way for Justice League and Bendis' stuff to dovetail into what will be the crisis that will maybe be written by both of them? I feel like they're going to give Snyder his own crisis. Do you think so? I do. Um... I think that, and the, and maybe this is me being un, being not very generous to Bendis. I don't mean it in a negative way. I think that when you look at what Bendis has done throughout comics, it's clear that he likes to create a world in which to play in. And I feel like he just hasn't had enough time to create the world that he wants to do a crisis in yet. Okay. So he gets the 40th anniversary crisis. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, yeah, I agree. Cause I think that, um, this, whatever this is, I kind of feel like is going to be the kind of, 
swan song for the Snyder era. Sure. Uh, not that I think like Snyder is like going to go away or stop doing stuff at DC, but this is kind of his plateau. It seems like in terms of scope, this is like, I guess like his blackest night for Johns. Yeah. In a way, that's how it feels to me. Although I guess like flashpoint came after and was arguably bigger in terms of scale, but I mean, Refresh like my Flash... memory of what the seven crises are. Oh, geez. Crisis <sighs> on Infinite Earths. Uh-huh. Zero, it, zero hour. hour. Um, infinite Crisis. Uh, yeah. Final Crisis. That's fine, Final right? Crisis. Yep. Nah, wait. That's four. That's, That's four. four. Right. Flashpoint. Flashpoint is five. Convergence is six. And Metal. Yes, is seven. Which, Which is funny because that means Snyder already got a crisis, but well, well no, but this is they're going to call it crisis. This is like the, this is all metal what we're getting right now. Okay, yeah, if you want to, yeah, sure. Metal, um, so metal is a so the, so, we'll so just, Snyder's <laughs> crisis has lasted like two or three years. Well, like it, it, it's all part of the same, you know. It it it's like it how is. Infinite Crisis yep. begat Fifty Two. Which begat one year later, like you yes. know, it's it's all of that together. I got you, I got you. Um, but it, it's wild to think that Jeff Johns had a hand in at least three of those crises. Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, Infinite, uh, Infinite Crisis, Flashpoint, Flashpoint, and he was the chief creative officer during uh, Convergence. Convergence, yeah. So yeah. that that is not his baby, in the way the other two are, but he still was the main writer of two crises. Yep. It's crazy that when you look at the list of the creators, who were, who are responsible, like you've got, you know, Marv Wolfman was a big part of Crisis on Infinite Earths. Um, then you got Dan Jurgens. For uh, Zero Hour, again, these are like these are iconic creators of their era. Jeff Johns, um, Grant Morrison, Jeff Johns again. And then you get Jeff King <laughs> for <laughs> Convergence. That's such a weird one. I that's... can't believe that that's... Yeah. I don't understand why that's a crisis. Like what... Well, because it changed because it changed the scope of everything that came after, like it itself did not feel all that mon monumental, but it, it essentially reestablished the kind of, uh, everything counts, right? I guess so. The, the only thing I'll say that really came from that is Jonathan Kent. Yeah. Yeah. But there was some stuff set up in that last issue where they were like, okay, everything that's happened, you know, even if even if it's not going to be in our comics going forward, everything that's happened happened or something like that. Uh-huh. Um it it kind of reopened the door to the multiverse in a way. It was yeah. more indicative of like a tonal shift for DC as a publishing line. It was like 
the like hard right turn away from what the new 52 the, had been. Yeah. In fact, it, it did end the new 52 branding, didn't it? Like, didn't, yeah, it didn't did. Everything that came out after no longer had that banner on it. Yeah. It was, it was almost like a soft, uh, slide into DC rebirth. Yeah, it was. It's very weird. Anyway, anything else to say about Justice League? Um, no, I don't think so. No, yeah. I do not. I am not wishing the Robert Venditti era to get here fast. But I'm getting a little bit sick of... Like, I feel like every every Snyder adjacent comic right now has ramped up the stakes so high that it's getting it's getting to be hard to take anything seriously because in every single issue it's the end of the world it was the end of the universe well it's all it's all about how he ends it so how many issues did you say three three more two, two, two more epilogue yeah so I mean if he sticks that landing all of this was great. You know, even if it got a little stretched out at times or a little oversaturated, uh-huh. I, I think I think we'll look back on it very fondly. Yeah, I don't disagree with that. If it's a fart in the wind, then then there's a lot that you can look back on and go, okay, this was this was promising something that it couldn't possibly deliver. Well, I mean, I, I guess the big question is is how much and we said this earlier tonight, how much it even really wraps up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially since this is all dovetailing with the infected stuff too. Yeah. See, I think that's the thing. Like, I think that uh, I don't know. I feel like this is going to be overshadowed by the infected stuff because I um, I feel like that is kind of the focus right now and especially with the i feel like the end of justice do more or whatever is already being overshadowed by this year of the villain hell arisen thing um so, <laughs> oh god i keep forgetting about that yeah don't forget like that's um like that's coming out you know the same day that the end of justice do more mm-hmm. it, the same day that it ends so that's where the story is going. And, and I think that is being billed as like a apex Lex versus versus the uh, Batman who laughs versus the Batman who laughs thing. So damn the moment we've all been waiting. Yeah. I mean, so like that's already, it's kind of weird that we have this big storyline brewing in justice league. That's already going to be eclipsed by something that feels smaller to me. Um, You know, Perpetua is this like big cosmic whatever thing and the Batman who laughs is just the Batman who laughs but that's clearly the bigger thing apparently yeah it's going to be really interesting to see how all these disparate parts come together in this crisis event eventually Mm -hmm. because this is all a part of it and I think you're going to see a little bit believe it or not of like uh, the Bendis stuff, and also some of the Tom King Batman stuff. 
because Snyder loves to connect all these dots. Hi, what what part of that do you think will come in? I think uh, Bane and or the Gothams are going to come into this. Mm, I don't know. I don't know about that. We'll see. We'll see. I'll I'll put a fiver on it. All right. I won't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk about our last uh, of the books for the break, which is the question: the deaths of Vic Stone. Vic Stone. I did that on purpose. I think it's oh, funny okay. that there are so many characters in DC that have very similar names but are totally different characters, like mm-hmm. Vic Stone, Vic, Vic Sage. Like, That's very funny to me. Victor, I think Victor Saz. Yeah, exactly. Zaz, Zaz, which we'll talk about that later. Yeah, lots of Vic. which is which is Vic Sage's real name. You know, oh, it is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. That it's, makes something in this issue make more sense to me then. Yes. It, it's his real name is Charles Victor Zaz. Or okay. Yeah. Yeah. Charles Victor. Yeah. Yep. That's right. That's right. Don't look it up. That's right. So, okay. which is weird because there's so many Vicks running around. They could just call this guy Charles. How many other Charleses are there in the DCU? Yeah. There's no Chucks running around. <laughs> Um, anyway, this is written by Jeff Lemire, illustrated by Dennis Cowan and Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh Vince, you when, when you read this, you texted us that you couldn't wait to talk about this. So why don't you start us off? Yeah. I, guys, I think the question is freaking Rorschach. <laughs> <laughs> Herm. <laughs> I, I wanted to talk about it a lot because I kind of can't believe this book exists. And you can see why Lemire would want to write it. I think, did one of you guys say, like, or maybe it was somebody I saw on Farmers Only, um, <laughs> said that uh, Jeff, that in order to write a question book, they made Jeff Lemire write a Joker book as well. <laughs> yeah. I forget who said it, but, um, but anyway, I, I think that that's true because this feels more like the this feels like a story that that Lemire has been cooking up in his head for maybe a long time, you know, um, and it's kind of an exploration, at least in this first issue of who the question is. But it also unmistakably very much mixes in Rorschach. Basically, from the first uh, opening scene, I think, Um the way that he moves around the city and like breaks into windows is very Rorschach. The way he talks about the city being lost hub city is lost. At least I'm not a whore. He says at one point, which is like, um, you know, that's, those aren't words coming from my mouth. That's, uh, (laughs) that's big sage. That's all, but that's such a Kovacs thing, you know, um, that I just kind of can't, I can't believe that this book exists because it is so clearly like, hey, I want to do a Rorschach story, but not about Rorschach, but kind of about Rorschach, <laughs> you know? Um, it's also about Pizzagate, kind of. <laughs> and it's also about uh, Canadian politicians with the last name Ford, which is interesting. Rob Ford? The Rob Fords, the Doug Fords, you know? He, he's... So the 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 pedophile councilman that the, that Vic beats up in the beginning of this 
issue is Councilman Ford. I think his name is Max Ford or something. But, you know, there's the Ford brothers, Rob and Doug. I have to assume that being Canadian, Lemire is, is suggesting something there, you know? Yeah. <laughs> parody, parody. Not <laughs> Can't be sued here. Fair use. Yeah. Um, there's clearly like a Kellyanne Conway-esque spokesperson who's uh, t- talking about fake news on, on Vic Sage's TV show. It's again, it's all, it's very much like uh, black label maturity mixed with current events mixed with this thing that DC has been doing lately where they're making not so subtle hints to Watchmen all the time, you know? I mean, um, the one difference here, and, and I know that you know this, but I just feel like we need to say this, is that Watchmen was supposed to be a Charlton's character's book, the question of the Charlton character, et cetera, et cetera. Well, what what do you mean, the, the difference? Like, the, like, this isn't just Lemire deciding to reference Watchmen. This, oh, no, 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 of course not. And I know you know that. I'm yeah. just, I feel yeah, like yeah. we need to say it on the podcast, that's all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's not It's not like he looked at it and said, oh, you know, the question is kind of looks like Rorschach, you know, like. Exactly. It's not like he didn't know the, the, the backstory behind the character and everything. And, and he's he's deliberately making those connections because, because that is such an accepted version of this character, even though it's not the same character, right? Right, yes. Um, but yeah, I still, re- I really like, I'm, I'm talking about it as if it's just a really weird comic that I can't believe exists, which is true, but I also really liked it. Um, somebody else talk. Zach, go ahead. I, I liked it a lot. I think that it's actually a... I may be forgetting something, but I think it's maybe the best black label book so far. Yeah, uh, I think so. Hmm. I really like Last Night on Earth, but but even that feels kind of different. I don't know. I, it's not as good as this. Yeah. It, it also yeah. note that the Hill House books are technically black label. Are they really? God, I've yeah. never been. Uh, uh, you're right. You're right. That's true. Well, and also technically, um, young animal. So is young animal yeah. now. But <laughs> I guess I'm thinking in the in the traditional original sense of black label, um, you know, as these kind of limited prestige minis. Uh, I think this is the best one so far, <laughs> um, and. Yeah, it is kind of funny how it is this, like, Rorschach, via, it's this question via Rorschach via question thing. Um, <laughs> and and I don't know. I know that, like, um, I know that the question originally dealt with a lot of, like, Randian philosophy which I am not like super familiar with other than like capitalism is good or something. Maybe. Is that right? Sure. Well, that's a part, maybe. part of it. Sure. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Um, Free market. Yeah. All that stuff. Yeah. Um, and then Rorschach was kind of a rebuttal to that. 
sort of, or or was he kind of? I, I he's not really. I always understood that Rorschach was kind of a critique of the Randian question, like the Ditko stuff. Yeah, I think so. But there's at this point, there's so much overlap in who is a fan of that character that yes. it, yeah. gets, it gets muddied. Yeah. It is right. a critique of it. It is like a mocking of the type of person that that would be. Right. Uh, if, if you were to hear uh, Alan Moore tell it, you know? Sure, sure. And this is a bit more back, like, on the nose. This isn't really satire or or anything, you know? This is kind of playing it straight a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I, I, I really liked it, though. I liked it. I feel like it was okay until the point where... I think about halfway through, you get the um, the three separate timeline thing. Not really timelines, but the, the, the three different events running concurrent concurrently. Yes. Yeah. Um, the, the cop shooting the. Yes. The cop shooting that you see. The the stuff uh-huh. at the mayor's office. Yeah, and, and the stuff the Vic with stuff. Vic specifically. Yeah. Uh, that was all really interesting, and that's also when it got really visually interesting as well. I love that the images of like the horses, uh-huh. the 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 Dennis Cohen and and Bill Sinkovich uh, or Sinkovich uh, art is bonkers in this, and yeah, I love it's, that it's a perfect fit. It looks so good. Yeah, the, those like weird impressionistic images of like mutilated horses and stuff. That's so like artsy and weird. To just interject in these panels. Yes. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, I like this book. I um, It is impossible to read this and not think about uh, Rorschach, as, we, as we've said. But I also think that that's not fair to the question as a character to just... I mean... <laughs> It's sort sure, of, but then like, that's on that's on Lemire then because yes, but I was gonna say it, it's sort of like only knowing Michael Jackson through Eat It, right? Like it's it's a weird, <laughs> it's like a weird looking glass. So you mean like when I was seven? Yes, or when I was seven. Yeah, exactly. Um, but just like it's it's just sort of this weird thing where you're 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 not quite doing the original character justice, but the but the popular version is so omnipresent that you can't distance yourself from it and so Lemire steers into that instead of trying to be like you know no the question is so different he's telling a question story that is that you have to know Rorschach to really understand but if you lean too much on Rorschach I think you miss a lot of what's good about this character so it's a it's a very tough line that he's walking I think the art sells the book because Cowan and Sienkiewicz are just you know absolute masters at what they do. And mm-hmm. so the book just looks so gorgeous. And I think that Lemire does a nice job of doing some very particular question stuff and giving some like interesting I don't want to say uh backstory to it, but like 
you know, the, there's this sort of mist that is always around when the question's there. And he, like, gives reason for that in this book. And I always like stuff like that. I always like when writers try and give a little bit of uh, of context to their characters without it turning into just, like, an information dump, you know? Uh, mm-hmm. And overall, I think that the general story he's telling is a compelling one. We talked before about how Justice League kind of felt perfect for this political movement, moment, rather. And I feel like parts of this book feel very relevant to our political moment as well. Um, but what I like about Lemire's superhero stuff, I know that the question, calling the question of superheroes may be a bit too much here, but what I love about his superhero stuff is that he's not afraid to, as I said before, steer into cliches when they work, and and he's not afraid to sort of go go big with some of these ideas. Like, the idea of the question making, like, a, a, a literal chart out of string in his in his apartment is, like, the biggest cliche of all time, but it totally works here, you know? Um, and I just, I, I like that Lemire is, is going for this in every way. He's bringing in Rorschach, he's bringing in stuff from the questions past, he's bringing in everything to tell this unique story, and I'm very glad about that. Yeah, well said. You uh, know what Zach, I really thought? Oh, well, you go. You go. No, I was just going to say, Zach. Did, did you, I was going to say, did you have anything else you wanted to say before <laughs> I drop this little nugget right at the end of this before we move on? Sure, sure. Um, the one thing I was going to say is I really thought we were going to get um, a new Fifty Two Trinity question <laughs> reveal in this. We still oh, got. We still. <laughs> We still might. There are the deaths of this multiple, multiple you're, deaths you're, here. You're right. You're right. It could happen. Speaking of the new 52, thanks for the, oh. thanks for the uh, segue here. I didn't even know. Do you, do you guys know what the new 52 connection? It's kind of oddball at the end of this issue is. I don't know. No, I don't. So, so, so Vic Sage goes to see Richard Dragon, right? Mm-hmm. Now, the 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 Richard Dragon like training Vic Sage in martial arts or whatever thing goes before the New Fifty Two. I think I'm I'm fairly certain. Um, but. Jeff Lemire specifically wrote Richard Dragon in the Lemire Sorrentino Green Arrow mm-hmm. New 52 oh, yeah. run. So this was like a, a weird, like I got this like bell ringing in my head when I saw him show up. And I'm like, why is this character, you know, why is this happening? And, and, then, and then I thought, well, didn't Lemire, I could picture the Sorrentino version of this character. Um, so just a little nugget there. That's a that's a good nugget. <laughs> Thanks. I like that he puts him on like a like a mushroom uh, vision quest. Yeah. He drug he drugs Vic up real good. That is definitely a, a dank nug to leave this uh, <laughs> to leave this discussion on. Nice. <laughs> so let's take a break, and we'll be back in just a minute with our Blitzkrieg through the infected. 
Hello, everybody. My name is Mike. And I'm Greg. And together we are Robots from Tomorrow, a twice-weekly podcast appearing at multiversitycomics.com. Each week we take some time to check out books and shelves on Wednesday that are worth your attention. And each month we dissect the previous catalog. We also have long-form discussions about books we've enjoyed like Dan Clow's Ghost World and Jack Kirby and Mike Royer's Commandy. And if that's not enough, we also do creator interviews. Some of the talks you'll find in our archives feature Mike Mignola, Leila Del Duca, Sean Martinborough, Emma Beebe, and Greg Rucka. So that's a lot of content for everybody. Please subscribe to Robots from Tomorrow in iTunes or Stitcher so you never miss a thing. Robots from Tomorrow has hours of comic-focused entertainment week in and week out. And now, back to your show. And we are back. Um, after the show last week, we decided we wanted to do this sort of uh, just spin through the infected books, the tie-ins, and just kind of get a sense for where that storyline is because it's now really starting to take root where we're seeing the six, the, the, the secret six characters and we're starting to get a better sense of what the long game is for all of this. So let's, uh, where should we start, Vincey? Uh, well, do you want to start with um, the Hawkman thing from last week? Uh, sure. So we, we didn't talk about Hawkman last week. But uh, I think all of us read it, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And so uh, the interesting thing about Hawkman, which was Hawkman number, uh, I believe it's 18, correct? 16, 18? Nah, I'm not sure at this point. Come on, Comixology. Why are you being so slow here? I think 18 sounds right. 18. It is it 18, was... yes. Yeah. So we get this story where... Carter Hall's one of his prior lives was on Earth three, and uh, as the Sky Tyrant, and so we. I see, love that name. By the a, way, it is a gr- it is a good good name, and so we see the Sky Tyrant show up on the main Earth, but Carter Hall isn't really in there. He's sort of this like uh, floating ghost of Christmas past in the story, and they. They interact a little bit, but it, it's it's a weird it's a weird issue. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just it's an unusual issue, and uh, I am I'm very excited to sort of dig into this with you guys. What did excuse me? <clears throat> what did you guys think of this? I I really really liked the stuff at the beginning, the Earth Three stuff um, with Sky Tyrant kind of fighting his opposites in the earth three universe um which were really kind of fun you know you had the was it the shadow sheriff yeah and then um lion lion lass or something like that lion miss lion miss yes okay matter mage uh the pinkerton ghost yeah i really like that one yeah Yeah, yeah, that that stuff was fun. I I really enjoyed that part of the issue. I think the the present day stuff wasn't quite as compelling, but um, it it did kind of warm me to the issue a little bit more. Oh yeah, and I got a kick out of uh, Hawk Woman showing back up. Yeah, I forgot about that. You're right. That's how it ends. Yeah, which is different from Hawk Girl. Yes, it is. I think, and I think we're, I think we're meant to assume that this is the Shira Hall version of yes. the character somehow. Somehow, 
Yes. Which also, correct me if I'm wrong, she showed up in Justice League, right? But that was like an echo that of was her, the... wasn't it? It wasn't it. Like yeah. The, uh... That was Maybe. like a false. But she's also been showing up in Justice League subsequently too. Okay, I I I somehow think this is a a third Hawk. I think you you I think you might be right. I I don't yeah I think that that is fair. Yeah. Um, and the I'm reason thinking... I say that is she's got a very specific look in this issue that's mm-hmm. different that's different from her look in Justice League. Mm-hmm. But it's still clearly see the problem is is that the Hawkman Hawkwoman backstory is so convoluted that there legitimately could be like three different versions of each of these characters. And every time we think DC is going to do the work to kind of streamline it and make it all make sense, they do something like this, which I, I'm not complaining about. I think it's fine. But all of a sudden we're having this conversation. Okay. Now which Hawk woman is this? <laughs> when, when we thought the original idea was that it was going to be uh kind of all tied up in one bow, right? <laughs> See, I no thought when, when I first saw this Hawkwoman, I kind of thought it was the one from Hawkworld. Mm-hmm. Like the mid-90s Hawkman stuff. Sure. But all these costumes are so similar and it's, you know, it's just it's so hard to tell with Hawkman stuff. So I don't know. Uh, I I did enjoy this issue though. I thought it was very good, and I I like I like that it's it's still an infected Secret Six story, but it's not diverting from the overall thesis of the Hawkman book, which is the past mm-hmm. lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it does put like an interesting wrinkle on the infected aspect. You know, it's not just like oh Carter's evil evil now. It's that he has become infected, and that's allowed this past life from Earth Three to kind of become the dominant personality. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting. Yeah, it's good. Mm-hmm. All right, well, let's talk about the yeah. books from this week then. Uh, yeah. So it's kind of, however order, whatever order we go in with this, we're going to start overlapping at some point. Uh, yeah, I kind of feel like maybe it's best to start with... Um, either Batman Superman or Blue Beetle. Let's do the Blue Beetle one, because that's the least connected one. Um, Right. The the Infected Scarab, number one, um, written by uh, Dennis Hopeless and illustrated by um, Freddie Williams So my problem with this issue is sort of similar to my problem with the Infected King Shazam issue, which is that we're getting, quote, evil versions of these characters, but I feel like there's not a lot of thought put into what an evil Blue Beetle would look like. It's just generic evil superhero. Yeah. He's a he's a bug. He's a bug boy. He's a bug. <laughs> yeah. It's it's Jaime behaving badly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. That's it. I'm yeah, almost happy kind to move of, on. Which is kind of like, <laughs> right. It's kind of like the Billy Batson thing all over again. Yes, exactly. Um, whereas I feel like in other books we're going to talk about tonight, there was there's more than just that. 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I don't know if this is fair to put the blame on uh, Dennis Hopeless. Is this Dennis Hopeless? I feel like I'm not saying it. It's mm-hmm. not. No. It yeah. is, De- no, it it is, is. Dennis Hopeless. Okay. Den- yeah. He's going by Dennis Hopeless Hallam now. Yeah. I, believe, I believe Hallam is his given last name. Right. I yeah. just don't know why he ch- decided to start going by it. Yeah. I, I don't know. Um, I always get Dennis Hopeless and Jeff Loveness confused. <laughs> so I wanted to make sure I was speaking to the right person. Um, but I, I don't think this is necessarily on Dennis Hopeless. I think it's just we've done so little with Jaime lately that no matter what you would you, you do here, it would feel somewhat forced. But especially when you don't dig into anything of his real personality. Like both he and Billy, especially because they're so young, these just they just come off like petulant brats in these issues. Yeah. yeah. I really don't have much more to say. Yeah, I I don't really either. Um especially because well, no, I guess not. I'm a little fuzzy cuz I'm I'll, I'll admit I read uh issues 3 and 4 of Batman Superman to prepare for this cuz I hadn't read the third issue and now they're kind of both running together for me. <laughs> Uh, but but I do think that Bat- I think issue three was the one that introduced um, the, the the scarab concept, correct? Yes, yes. That, that was where he first showed up. Okay. Uh, so should we get to Batman Superman then, or go to Supergirl first? I think I think we should talk about. Uh, I think we should talk about Batman Superman. Vince, you cool with that? Yep. All right. Batman Superman number four. Um, this issue does a lot of. You, we basically get scenes in this issue that are also found in Supergirl, um, which is something I want to talk about eventually. Okay. But um, anyway, this issue is um, written by Joshua Williamson, and uh, is this still Marquez? Mm-hmm. It is. Yeah, I'm kind of surprised he's four issues in and hasn't missed an issue yet. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if maybe this was a little bit ahead. I wonder if maybe they were working on this for a bit. Yeah, maybe. But anyway, this takes place in the Fortress of Solitude, and there's some good Superman-Batman Fortress of Solitude chat that happens in this issue. Um, but I, I wanted to talk specifically about the characterization of Donna Troy in this issue. I thought this was... This was the first time one of these infected characters really felt like the person underneath the infection poking through a little bit. I think her being pissed off about Wally and Dick and Roy felt really natural and felt really uh, smart for something that, you know, Bruce even says at one point in this, it's like, you know, everyone is becoming what they really feel like inside. Mm-hmm. And she really reflects that I think the best of all these characters. Interesting, yeah, yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, I agree with that. Especially because you know we know that Carter is a past life. We know that Jaime is—he's trying to fight the Scarab, but he can't. We don't see enough of Kara to really know how she's doing. Um, Gordon is just kind of a dick. <laughs> 
and uh yeah he's really hung up on all the times that uh that bruce left him on the rooftop yeah, <laughs> yeah. Can't well that is that. annoying it's yeah. fairly annoying and then we've established that shazam is just obnoxious in this so i thought mm-hmm. that donna troy was the only character of the infected that actually felt um true to themselves in some way yeah, uh, which is interesting. I think she's I think she's the only one whose origin we haven't seen so far, which I think she is getting a one shot coming up soon, right? Mm-hmm. I think so, yeah. Yeah. So. All right. Um Zach, you want to talk about some stuff in this issue, so talk about it. Well, I think um I think it's interesting how this feels. So we kind of have two parallel sequels to metal going right now, which we've talked about, you know, we've got the, um, the stuff in justice league, um, that Snyder's doing himself. And then we have this, which is starting to feel more like the true sequel to metal to me. Um, thematically and visually which is so Um, weird it is really weird to me um but you know like we have the reprisal of the a lot of like plot points from metal um you know not just the dark multiverse (laughs) but like this uh like scarab is rebuilding like the anti-monitors antenna thing like the big crisis thing uh you know so um yeah it's weird um oh this is something i wanted to talk about but we didn't talk about during justice league um another like similarity so uh in this week's justice league you know he (laughs) like perpetual unlocks like the seventh energy the seventh dark energy and uses it to do something but i still don't think we know what it is <laughs> like we still don't know what the seventh energy thing is and it's now the power here, of friendship it yeah. is the power of evil friendship though <laughs> yeah. um, the power of frenemies um now in Batman Superman, we have these six infected characters who are each supposed to represent like one different source of power or something. And yeah. they have to come together to do something with this antenna to open up the dark multiverse. It's all just like very vague, like, oh, you have to collect the the so many pieces of this thing to yeah. do a thing storytelling. Yeah, it's Mario Super Mario sixty four. Yeah, yeah, or like <laughs> Legend of Zelda or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and which is, I mean, it's not great, but I I weirdly kind of enjoyed this issue. I did too, but I couldn't shake the feeling that now with the infected stuff, this all just feels like discount deceased. Like seeing, seeing these characters running around and getting like gradually, you know, it's doing that thing that like blackest night did and deceased did where like all of a sudden a character will turn around and like give a shocked look. And then in the next panel it will be okay. This now this character is infected. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? I feel like that's happened 
so many times in this uh, storyline, and it's what we were just seeing in Deceased, where like part of the fun of Deceased was which three or four characters are we going to see infected in this issue? You know, I feel like it's just doing the same trick over again, and I don't, I don't think it's quite as good as Deceased at this point. The art's better, if you're asking me, but yeah. The art is incredibly good, I think. Um, but yeah, it's also, you know, it's really weird. It's a, it's a weird amalgamation of things. It's weird that this is, they're calling themselves the Secret Six. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Which is completely, it's just like illogical. It doesn't make any <laughs> sense from a story standpoint. It's just like, oh, the Secret Six is a DC concept that people like. <laughs> yeah. We we got to use the name for something. Yeah. Yeah, I'll say that this issue was a lot of fun, and you know, I think all of our mileage varies with how much uh, we can sort of take of the Batman who laughs and his coterie of uh, of comrades here. Right, there are definitely times when it's been not that bad to read a, a book starring the Batman Who Laughs, and there are times when it is pulling teeth to read a Batman Who Laughs story. And I just hope that, you know, and knowing Williamson a little bit, I know that he he plans this stuff out so far in advance, and he really does try to have the most like comprehensive plan going into these things i just don't want it to become the book about the batman who laughs yeah yeah which i mean do you mean just like right now we're moving forward to i mean i understand why it's happening right now but i hope that this isn't the totality of the book pardon the dc pun of totality (laughs) uh, yeah of of batman superman you mean yeah yes yeah well, it, it doesn't necessarily seem like it's going to be like, I think the next solicited issue from, or the, the newest solicited issue, number seven, starts a new story arc with uh, Nick Darrington art, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, it has to do with uh, General Zod and Rachel Ghoul. So that's kind of cool. That is cool. That is cool, and that makes me feel better about things, too. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel like, and it's something I did want to say, actually, that, so this brings me back around to this point, is um, I think it's really interesting how much this kind of feels like a mini-event series. Um, you know, it, we got the Batman Who Laughs mini-series that set this up, um, but now this is happening within the pages of an ongoing and it, and it really kind of feels a lot like what we got in event Leviathan, which was its own little mini series. But I think it's kind of nice that this is just happening in the pages of an ongoing. Um, it's just really, it seems really arbitrary how DC decides what, where, where stories are going to be told and in what formats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well said. Yeah. Um, Zach, do you want to transition us into talking about Supergirl since you wanted to mention something about that? 
Sure, sure. So two things about Supergirl. Uh, again, kind of like with Batman versus Superman, I had to read the last couple of issues to catch up. Um, Batman versus Superman. What did Batman, I know? Yeah, Bat- Batman, Batman very Batman Superman. Superman. Batman very yeah. Superman is clearly what I meant. Um, uh, so yeah, so I read those two Levent, Levi, Leviathan, Levi- <laughs> Event Leviathan issues. Um, We're getting nutty. Yeah, getting real nutty. Which so those issues were weird because yeah, I don't think we talked about them on the show. They were weird because they were Event Leviathan tie-ins, but they were also year the villain tie-ins at the same time mm-hmm. because there was this like subplot with Brainiac one. Then we get to this issue of Supergirl that is simultaneous, tiniestly a uh, infected tie-in, but also dealing with that year of the villain tie-in, essentially just throwing it away and sending Brainiac one back to his home planet. Um, <laughs> Which I thought was really, really weird that they had, they had been building up this subplot with Brainiac 1 and for it to literally kind of just be brushed away by the infected stuff. I mean, I, yeah. part of that is that this is, I believe, the last issue it, written by Mark Andreco. Maybe. I, I, think you're, takes over. I think you're right. But you'd think that they would have been planning that stuff ahead of time, maybe, especially because this was kind of tying into the overarching You're the Villain stuff. Um, I, I thought that that was weird. But then I also wanted to talk about how this is the second issue of Supergirl that we've had in a few months that has certain events from a issue that it's tying into replayed verbatim. verbatim in the same week that it comes out yeah right? exactly yeah the last one was uh superman number 13 i think yeah, yeah. uh and supergirl 33 yeah um, i hate when they do that it's it's weird um and and it's I, good i mean i get why they do it agreed yes um but it, I, f- I feel like it hurts this book because it made for a pretty disjointed read. You know, essentially we have so, you know, you kind of open up and you have Supergirl picking up on the plot thread from Brainiac one at the end of the last issue. Then that resolves. And then we go into what we see happening in Batman Superman four with her meeting up, fighting and becoming infected. And then we get this weird epilogue that happens after Batman Superman where she just kind of runs off and goes wild, does her own thing. Um, it's a, it's really disjointed. And again, I wonder if that's a sort of a function of Andrico having to wrap up everything and also lead into the next thing. Yeah, I see. To me, this feels almost less of an issue with just like the writer handover as it does more just like editorial mandates and things. Sure. Yeah, but I don't know. What what did you guys think about this issue? Well, I just really don't like when they do that 
that thing where so much of like, I think we talked about it when the when the Superman and Supergirl issue happened. Um, I like when a pair of books that tie in closely to one another maybe share like a big scene or two, but just just like one panel or page. This was like several pages repeated verbatim with different art. And that just feels like such a... I, I, I don't get why they do it because so many other issues hand or so many other comics and handle same scenarios in different, more effective ways. You know, there are lots of other issues that will just use a, a, a editor's box to say, Hey, go check out this issue to see it. Or, um, they'll use exposition, a little bit of exposition or a short flashback or something, but to just recreate several pages with the exact same dialogue and similar art drawn by a different person is just such a weird editorial strategy to me. I, I don't like it. It doesn't, it, I'm not saying it's like morally repugnant. I won't, I'm not going to go that far, but it feels weird when I'm reading it. I'm going, I'm, I'm reading it and I'm saying like, what is going on? Like who decided this? I mean, I understand why this happens. I mean, why? Why is it any different than than another comic referencing a something that happened in a different issue? How is it any different from like Deathstroke referencing things that happened in Teen Titans? Because this, because people are probably reading Supergirl who aren't reading Batman Superman. Oh, the same is true about. The same is true about like Teen Titans and Deathstroke. I, I guess this is also showing like the exact same set of events, not just like referencing them. Yeah, well, that's, sure, but why does yeah, it have to? Well, because, who decided that it has to? Because I think that because this isn't a traditional crossover where you presume everybody's reading the same stuff. I'm not saying it's a good idea. I just I understand the thought process behind it. You know what is weird is that there's not, you know, whoever is writing this dialogue is not being credited in both books. You right. know, there's not like a special thanks to Josh Williamson and Supergirl or to Andreco and in Batman Superman. So Yeah, that, that's part of it. That's you kind of weird. You don't know who wrote what. It's it's weird. Yeah. yeah, I just think there's other ways to handle. It. I think oh, there's I always. Other I don't ways disagree to with you. I'm just saying I can understand why they were doing it. Yeah. Anyway, what do we think about this whole infected thing right now? I think it's interesting how we are kind of like in peak crossover mode again or not necessarily just like crossover but where like everything is connected more so than i think s since like pre-flashpoint mm -hmm. yep or or at least you know rebirth, rebirth yeah had, I mean, a, had a little bit of that yeah, but it's just like so hyper connected right now. You know, every book is referencing 
Year of the Villain, and sometimes Infected, and sometimes Leviathan, and sometimes maybe something else that I'm not remembering, but it's just like there's so many different running threads that are interconnected now. Um, it feels like it's been a really long time since we've had something that overarching and intentional. Yeah. Yeah, I disagree yeah. with that. I One of the things I like about Infected and the Year of the Villain stuff um, that it's the reason why I wanted to talk about it this week is that not every book is doing the exact same thing anymore. It's not like when this all started and the doom symbol was appearing in the sky or Lex was making the offer, every book ended the exact same way. Every issue ended with Lex making an offer. Every issue ended with this symbol in the sky. Once we got past that, it's been interesting to see how different writers, different artists approach similar events under the banner of Year of the Villain, but in different ways. Like, I feel like what's, I feel like the way that Teen Titans, which is not a book that we're talking about this week, but it came out, the way that it's approaching the uh, year of the villain takeover problem using crush in this case crush is like the villain that takes quote unquote villain right that takes over that book is way different from the way that uh, it happened in aquaman or the way that it happened in uh batman and the outsiders just a week ago um and when some of that, some of those issues are coming out at the same time as these infected ones, those are a different spin because the infected books are a very different concept than the year of the villain takeover stuff. And yet they're happening concurrently. So I really appreciate, even though I don't love everything that's happening and I haven't loved every issue of this and it didn't occur to me until just this week that, Oh, the infected stuff is just, a spin on deceased, which we just got, or at least that's what it feels like to me. Uh, I really appreciate the way that the year of the villain, well, having everything kind of going in the same direction, gave its writers and creative teams different ways to approach these villains so that not every book feels the same, you know, sure. that's something, that's something that I feel like some crossovers are missing. When, when DC or Marvel try to do them. Yeah, I think I would probably be enjoying each of these crossovers more if the other wasn't happening, though. Uh, yeah, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I actually kind of like how interconnected they are. Um, I think it... I mean, maybe it's just like I am kind of a sucker for continuity and junk. So I, I think that's actually maybe the most appealing aspect of all of it to me is just the way that it interconnects. Interesting. Sure. All right. Anything else to add? I feel like we're exhausted by this invite the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's let's call it a night then. Thank you for listening, folks. We appreciate it. Um, we'll be back in a week with uh, 
With with what, Vince? What's coming up? Oh, uh, we got action. We got basket full of heads. Very excited about that. Uh, Batgirl, Batman Beyond, Batwoman Beyond, even. even. Um, even. Oh, I got to talk about even. Keep talking. Hang on. Okay. <laughs> all right. Batman Creature of the Night. That's not real, right? That's it's that's gotten even further pushed back. I heard that was 2020 now. I have we'll, no idea. We'll see. I guess we'll see we'll what see. shows up in the in the box. Uh, Batman very Ra- Rachel Ghoul. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> books <laughs> books of magic. Uh, Detective Comics. Flash. Uh, Freedom Fighters. The first proper issue of John Constantine Hellblazer. Justice League Dark. Uh, Last God, Martian Manhunter, Red Hood Outlaw, Shazam, Supergirl Annual, Tales from the Dark Multiverse, Infinite Crisis, and Terrifics. Oh, man. Around the day out. So in uh, Batman Superman this week, uh, Supergirl says to Batman, sorry about the the pain in the butt thing, Batman. And uh, Batman says, I've been called worse today even <laughs> now I'm just uh now I'm just picturing all of Batman's dialogue done as uh Snagglepuss. Yeah. All right, if Snagglepuss is Batman then <laughs> <laughs> Anyway until... criminals are a superstitious lot. Cowardly even. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you can find me and Zach on Twitter. I'm at Brian Needs an App. And I'm at Walker Fox. If you need to find Vince, he is uh, offending lots of people on FarmersOnly.com. <laughs> oh, oh, Brian. So that's it for us for this week. Thanks for listening, folks. How old would you have been when Red and Blue came out? What year did that come out? Uh, 98 in the States. I was 16. You just missed the cutoff. Yeah, he was already too cool for it. If too cool means being in a Primus cover band, then you're fucking right I was.